shit, I got stuck. Hello, everybody. And welcome back to the DeathStoreProds.com movies and television podcast. As always, I'm your host, The Dead Man, and this is my second recording in the of the day, and my throat is fucking killing me. My body had not gotten used to being into fucking podcasting mode again. Do you know what today we have Birdie? Get a calendar, you fucker. The calendar isn't important. Like, it, I knew when we were starting. My body got used to not podcasting or not recording, so my throat fucking uncalloused or whatever the fuck it or whatever the fuck it did. Let me talk for fucking seven hours in a row without any without feeling any real pain. Now I talk for two and a half hours and, and I'm fucking bleeding. I meant scheduling. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Anyway, hi. We're back. Hi. Uh, two weeks to the apocalypse. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, we should try to enjoy ourselves, I guess. Yeah, sure, fuck it, why not? What else are we going to do? Well... I mean, wallow I in self-pity? Die, you're already dead. Fucking wallow in self-pity? I do that enough already, thank you. Oh, fuck. This is the classiest start to this fucking show again. Anyway, Brady, what you been watching? Uh, I don't even remember the last time I was on this podcast, do you? Nope! <laughs> I fucking lost uh, track of this schedule, goddamn months ago when caveman took the break and we kind of lost jimmy yeah all right so i guess the fresher stuff should go first just i mean there's other stuff i think i didn't talk about but there's someone else talked about but i kind of want to mention but first the big thing that i think some people maybe care about uh i think it's called rogue one a star wars story Oh, no, I believe it is Rouge One. Ah, yeah, that's very... It's, it's, take, it's taking, you know, the story oh, of Big Red... It's, it's taking the story of the Big Red One, you know, that World War II company, and bringing that into the Star Wars universe. That Turn it back around. That would not be entirely inappropriate, since this feels like a World War II movie set in the Star Wars universe. Thanks, Call of Duty. <laughs> so, yeah, um... It's pretty good overall. Okay, and I feel like we just to state straight up spoilers. Yeah, if just going forward, it, I have not seen it, but I don't particularly care. Uh, other people, yeah, okay. So let me just put let me put it this way: spoilers if you haven't seen episode four. <laughs> 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 I don't know why that was so funny. Oh god, that is that is so dumb. Why? Just I don't know. I'm an idiot. So yeah, um. 
this the the uh, movies. Okay, so it, the broad plot is the Death Star is a problem. The team known as Rogue One is on a mission to stop it. A doomed mission, but a mission nonetheless. How many Bothans were killed? At least six on screen. Would you classify that as many? It's more than I've seen in any Star Wars movie, so I guess. (laughs) (sighs) So, yeah. Uh, The movie, uh, a broad analytical description, this is good... And if you had to compare it to The Force Awakens, it does some things better than The Force Awakens, but it also does some things worse. And I can get into that more in a second, after a broad plot description. So, um, it starts off with uh, Dr. Hannibal uh, hanging out on a lone planet with his wife and his little daughter until distinct Imperial asshole played by Ben Mendelsohn, shows up. I think his name is Krennic. And I say distinct asshole because his he has motivations other than just glory of the Empire. Which is surprisingly unusual in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, Empire. Real good job of recruiting very single-minded individuals. Yeah. Whereas this guy, yeah, he's all about the Empire, but he's also about uh, moving on up. To the point where he almost demands a, a promotion from Darth Vader. Something new. <laughs> You've never seen that in fucking Star Wars? And for good reason. <laughs> because it because it leads to Darth Vader saying you shouldn't you should learn not to choke. On your ambition, Krennic. Then does he choke him out? Yeah, he's choking him out as he's saying this. He didn't even okay. turn around to do it. He just, he just, he's just staring off into space, and suddenly Krennic's cut off. He's like, Gah! Gah! cool. Vader just walks away, having said the badass line. By the way, Vader's terrifying in this. <laughs> he's only in. Three scenes, I think, but he's terrifying. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I've heard a lot. The biggest complaint that I hear about this movie is that it is very fanboy pandering. Um, I will say that my biggest problems with this film are the fanboy pandering moments. The film is not all that fanboy heavy. It's just that the moments that are clear fanboy pandering are the worst. Like, I can actually name them. I can count them on one hand. Um, I don't know how well you remember A New Hope, but do you remember... uh, The alien that told Luke, this guy doesn't like you? Uh, yeah, that was a uh, ballface friend. Yeah, for some reason they're on this planet called Jeddah, where the main team is hanging out, and they're just there for no readily explained reason. 
and it's even more confusing that this happens right before A New Hope, and spoiler alert, um, as a sign, as a way of testing the Death Star, um, the Empire, instead of using it on full power, sets it at the lowest possible setting, which still dusts the city of Je- the, the major city of Jeddah and a large portion of the Earth of the planet's crust. And then after that, does ball face McGee and his buddy just kind of stand up and go, oh, what the fuck happened? No, we never see them again. <laughs> so we're left to assume so, that they are, that they either left the planet beforehand or the people who we see in uh, New Hope are just different people entirely who just have to be of the same race and the same buddies. Yes. Oh, goody. And um, there's one random scene with R2 and C-3PO entirely pointlessly, completely pointlessly in this movie, so it's more irritating than normal. Uh, I'm trying to think of this. I'm trying to stay away from the big one, because the big one's one of my principal complaints until it's the end. But... Uh, duh, duh, duh. Uh, they name a planet Wobani which is literally just an anagram of Obi-Wan. That's just dumb. It's also a terrible anagram. Like, what the... What the fuck kind of name is Wobani? I don't know. (laughs) But... I'm pretty sure the big thing that's pissing most people off is the CGI-rendered versions of Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher. Yeah, that... That seems like a bad idea. Yeah. Like, Carrie Fisher's not as bad because she literally has one line and you only see her face in CG for a few seconds... Like, I would have been fine if they just never showed her face, and the same with Tarkin. But Tarkin is a prominent character in this movie, completely CG, and, and, and constantly interacting with other live-action actors. So, mm. it's not only distracting, it's it's irritating. <laughs> would it have been better if they just cast somebody who kind of looked like Peter Cushing? Yeah, and I'm kind of not sure why they didn't do that considering they found someone who looks scarily like Grand Mothma yeah because I don't know Tarkin's in the fucking show so yeah but that's an all CG show (laughs) yeah yeah it's an all CG show so um, they brought him so they brought him to life through CG in live action yeah, you know, Which is, how you do. That's like if you watched Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, but it was Buzz Lightyear from the Toy Story movies. Yeah, totally. That'd be, that'd be terrible. <laughs> so, the plot of this movie is um, Dr. Hannibal is approached by Krennic because Dr. Hannibal was the one who built the original plans for the Death Star, and Krennic needs him to complete it. The wife tries to fight, gets shot by the new toys. I mean, new elite stormtroopers. And uh, 
their their daughter Jen runs off and hides, who and is ultimately saved by the uh, Forrest Whitaker character Saw Guerrera. And eighteen years later, Jen's all grown up now, played by Felicity Jones. We have no idea where she's been or what she's been doing in the subsequent eighteen years. All we know is that she apparently at some point had a falling out with Saw because he's crazy. And the Rebels need her to reconnect with Saw because he's holding someone who has access to secret information about the Death Star. And this team of Rebels includes Cassian Andor, played by Diego Luna, uh, K2SO, the the, the uh, snarky strate- strategy droid, voiced by Alan Tudyk. And those are the two main Rebels, but they are also later met up by my favorite character in the whole movie, Chirrut Imwe, played by, played by Donnie Yen, and his uh, elect, his his magnetic railgun-toting partner, Baze Malbus. Great names. Yeah. And Donnie Yen is my favorite character because he's... I've never seen him have this much fun with a role. He tends to play the the stoic martial arts role, so it's weird to see him having fun with a role to the point where, when he when he does when he gets that traditional, we don't want to know where you're going. Black bag over his head when he's transported. He's like, "Are you kidding? I am blind." <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty all right. Yeah. Yeah, and. <sighs> Okay, so my big my big thing, the two big things that bother me about Rogue One that I liked better in Force Awakens, and I don't know you might be you might agree with me this or not. Uh, Force Awakens has strong characters. Absolutely. Yeah, like Ray, Finn, Poe Dameron. Even if I didn't really like the role Kylo Ren played in that movie, I still got a strong sense of his character. I just don't think it fit as the major villain of the movie. Yeah. Uh, this, while the side characters are strong, the main characters, while played by bed, by really good actors, are rather bland. Like, particularly Cassian Andor and uh, Jen Erso. Their actors are giving it all they've got, but the script doesn't give them that much to work with. And if you know anything about this director, Gareth Edwards... <laughs> You know he has a tendency to have main characters that are bland when surrounded by much more interesting characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Godzilla. Yeah, the most fucking interesting character in that goddamn movie. The most interesting human character in that goddamn movie. Killed 20 minutes in. And the fucking and monster... the other most interesting character, they kept hiding. Yeah. <laughs> Like, the fucking first time he shows up, but the first time is that big battle, the fucking Mutos, or whatever the fuck they were called. Just, hey, here's a fucking here's a fucking glory shot of Godzilla. Then, blurry news footage. Just, yep. fuck you, Edwards. Yeah, and Jen Erso's... Like, the, the, two, the main plots of the two main protagonists are not as interesting as I would have liked. Because Jen's whole thing is... I was raised to be a rebel, but I'm not sure I want to be a rebel, so something has to provide me with the motivation to be a rebel. And Cassian's whole thing is, I've been doing the rebelling thing so long that I am so far into the dark zone that 
I'm not sure what I'm fighting for anymore. So, and of course, her his plotline is then you've given me the clear, the clarity of mind and focus to pursue the goal that must be done. And I will admit that I like the darkness of this movie to the point where, when Cassian meets an informant for information about the Death Star, and he thinks that the informant will has blown his cover. He straight up just shoots him in the spine and tells the uh, stormtroopers, "Hey, uh, that guy caused trouble." Okay. <laughs> that. Okay. Yeah. And a, um, a character I should have liked more, but I don't think he was consistent, well-written consistently, is uh, Forrest Whitaker's Saul Guerrero, because kind of like, um, <laughs> speaking of Godzilla, kind of like uh, Brian Cranston in that movie, uh, he's only got three or four big scenes before he's killed off by the end of the first act. <laughs> I think he's got maybe 15 minutes of screen time total, and it's an over two-hour movie. Just like Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. But, like, what was there seemed interesting. It just was not consistent to the point where the first time you see Saw Guerrero, it's the, it's the most I've seen someone other than Darth Vader fucked up by cybernetics. To the point where he, instead of lungs, he has like an O2 tank built into where his chest cavity was supposed to be originally, so that he can breathe in and out of it on occasion. <laughs> huh. And his idea of getting information is much more on the dark side of things than on the light side of things. In that he puts, um, if he if he's not sure if you're lying or not, he puts you in a room with a tentacle horror who invades your mind and makes you say everything that's on your mind all the time and you can't lie about it there was but extended exposure means you're insane isn't that just a bigger nastier version of a star trek bug yeah probably like wrath of khan it was like hey we need to fucking yeah, get no, information the, out of you let's stick this bug things. in your ear yeah no i know but yeah, so you'd think from that that he's so far extremist rebel, crazy torturer that he's like, I will do what needs to be done. I don't care who I hurt or what I have to do. But his next scene with Jin is like, I was protecting you. I knew what you would become and what you would be necessary to the rebellion. It's like, um, this doesn't fit with what you just established and she's only kind of briefly approaching the fact that she probably left because she thought you were insane. Yeah, that sounds... That sounds rough. Yeah. And the, but, uh, okay, so I've, I know I've been talking shit for a while, but let's get the things I love about this movie. The climax of this film might be the best cl- Star Wars climax, period. Okay. Like, better than Empire Strikes Back, better than even the best scenes in Return of the Jedi or A New Hope. Best, period. 
because you combine an actual legitimate star battle with a ground war. Like a 45 minute, the last 45 minutes of this movie is a ground war to get into a tower to secure information and broadcast at the rebellion while the rebel fleet fights to maintain a position while Darth Vader is blowing their ships out of the sky. For 45 minutes? Yep. That seems a bit overlong. You'd think that, but I was white-knuckling it the whole time, so... Okay, then. Yeah, and relentlessly intense. It helps that um, there's plenty of... Like, all, all, it, like I said, doomed mission. All the characters die. But you've grown... It, with the side character in particular, you've grown to like them so much that you actually care when they die. Particularly um, K2SO, the character voiced by Alan Tudyk. Who has like if the movie's not really funny? It's much, it's a pretty dark, so there's not much comedy. But he he has a lot of like snarky one-liners that are just deadpan delivered in a slightly British accent, to where he says things like, "Why are you letting her keep the gun? Do you know the odds that she will use that against you? Let me tell you, they're rather high." So he's and things like that. So he's like AP five or the and or the robot from fucking Hitchhikers. Marvin. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've never seen the Hitchhikers movie, but I'm reading the books. Um, British snarky, incredibly morose about things. Yes. Actually, yeah, and actually, that makes sense because there's a line where he said, "I've come to save you." He ordered me to, unless or said I would shut down. So shit like that. And okay, so what else is there? Oh yeah, um, in the three scenes he's in, Darth Vader is more terrifying than he's been since Empire. Like, if you think the prequels left a stain on the character, this does a lot to correct it because throughout the first two thirds of the movie, while you're aware of Darth Vader's presence, he's like controlled and powerful and just doing the Empire thing. When he gets mad, holy shit! (laughs) Like, this poor group of rebels who is trying to escape with the information, Vader literally crashes his Star Destroyer into their ship and gets to the hallway where, like, 30 of them are trying to escape onto a a shuttle because their ship has been deactivated. And he is... uh, he, He... he cuts some of them in half, does the um, Kylo Ren thing of reflecting blaster bolts. This one poor guy, he apparently just really hated because he fo- he force floats him in the air and then bangs him against the ceiling repeatedly until he snaps him in half. Huh. That sounds cool. It. That sounds like Kylo Ren. Yeah, but he's he's not throwing a whiny bitch fit ever. He's just like, I'm angry that I have to do this. I'm going to take it out on you fuckers. <laughs> Whereas okay. Kylo Ren's whole thing for a lot of the movie was like, nah, nah, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, I'll kill you to death. Yeah, like it's... 
in none of the material where Darth Vader has been like prominently featured has he ever has he ever really seen him be like that before. He's always been more of like yeah, well, a they, he's always they, been more of like a slow approaching looming threat, just like this unstoppable force that isn't just a fucking freight train. Yeah, I understand that. And there's some of that in the scene, but there's also clear rage in how he's dispatching these enemies. But, um, like I said, the, the only scene from the climax they've shown in the trailers is the scene where a guy shoots a rocket launcher at an ATAT and it just shrugs it off. They've hidden the rest of the climax pretty well, which I appreciate. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the character stuff's fine. Uh, season the middle of it is kind of muddled because it's sort of there's a there's people in the rebellion who are like, okay, we don't want to just. There's some who are thinking, okay, we don't have to flat out rebel against the empire because they're like, well, I mean, this used to be the republic. Maybe we just resist the republic that these it these power brokers long enough, it'll revert back to the republic eventually. That's kind of thrown out the window when the Death Star is revealed. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to be like, a, hey, we'll just sit back and see what happens when Planet that... Killer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, as always, Mads Mikkelsen is great. He yeah, really he's, isn't. He is Dr. Uh, he's Dr. Hannibal, as you've been saying. In case anybody out there does not know. Yes. Yeah, I mean Star Wars is a very, like Star it. Wars is a child thing, so they might not know much about NBC's Hannibal. Yeah. Also, and like I said, I like Ben Mendelsohn as the main villain of this because it's not just that he's an imperial asshole; it's that he is so determined to get promoted that whenever anything doesn't go his way, he 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 sneers and whines. Or when he finds out that the Empire, that the uh, Rebels have invaded his uh, secret info repository for all the info on the Death Star. He's like, are you people blind? Send out the garrison! Okay. So he's entertaining to watch until he gets shot in the face. (laughs) So he's the right side of annoying. He's, a, he's the right yes. side of annoying and whiny as, as opposed to Kylo Ren, who was on the bad side of annoying and whiny. Yes. Okay. So, so yeah, while I think Force Awakens has a stronger story structure and definitely much better characters, Rogue One is a much better constructed war movie. And the final image invokes at, uh, atomic bomb symmetry because the Death Star... Uh, the Empire's like, we can't let uh, original plans about the Death Star leak out once they realize the Rebels are attacking. It's like, eh, nuke the planet. <laughs> I'd love it if it was delivered like that nonchalantly. <laughs> just, I have a feeling it was delivered with a bit more gravitas to it. Like, like he just like, either doesn't even look at him or just like slowly turns around. Like, finger steeple just like glass the, just like glass the planet. But it was just like, oh, the, pl- oh, the, star- oh, the plans got out. Ah, eh, fuck it, nuke the bitch. <laughs> I built this thing for a reason. Yeah. Let's fucking glass that asshole. Yep. But, and I will give this movie credit for having an ending so definitive that we will never see any of these characters again. <laughs> they are dead, dead. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Uh, you've probably already seen Rogue One, most of you, but I can recommend it in for the theater experience because, if nothing else, this this film was constructed to appear on theaters. And Gareth Edwards is a good director of action. He just has problems with characterization. Pacing, character. <laughs> yeah. And setting up, like, proper cutaway jokes. Yes. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's kind of funny when you talk cutaway kind of for Godzilla, but show us fucking Godzilla. We paid money for Godzilla. Yeah. And you're not showing anything compelling enough to justify not showing Godzilla. God damn it. <laughs> Never going to not harp on that. Just that, that was... No, I understand. <sighs> Believe me, I understand. I've I've come. I was willing to defend it at first because that that climax is glorious. But I will freely admit, no pacing problems, poor characterization, badly structured. I will freely admit all of that. I feel like that's like going forward. That's going to be like the fucking box quote for every single Gareth Edwards movie. Just like, just like, oh, like terrible, just like fucking terrible pacing, bad characterization, horrible setup. But that ending, though, yeah. Because so far, I like, got the big two God, movies. Godzilla's that is kind final, of what happens. Yeah, and Godzilla's final finishing move on the last Mudo in that movie is one for the history books. <laughs> oh hell yeah, that was like, that was fucking goddamn Zilla. Yeah. Not whatever Roland Emmerich made ninety eight. The Iguana Man. Uh, <laughs> which I which to be fair, and you know this, Godzilla nineteen ninety eight is not the worst Godzilla movie. No, 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 no. <laughs> You've seen the worst. And when Korra threatened you to <sighs> watch it again, you threatened to cut him. <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, uh, now on to a movie I have no idea how to talk about other than to say you should watch it. Arrival. Oh yeah, I I know the twist for that too. Hmm? I know how that all plays out too. Yeah. Well, the, that's the thing. Once it's revealed what the twist is, and I will talk about what I think about the film before I get... Because this is a significant spoiler, unlike... Rogue One. Yeah, and Rogue One, the characters you never see again die is not really a spoiler. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, you might see Saw Gerrera in Rebels, but that's also a prequel. Uh, um, Yeah, once you reveal what the twist is in Arrival, it gets into, like, some of it I know is meant to be speculative sci-fi stuff, but it also feels like it's one of those things where the plot happens because the plot happens. Okay. So, um, for those who don't know, uh, Amy Adams plays a linguist at a university who, when 12, um stone 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 semispheres appear in in different parts of the world not necessarily over major cities or even over land it's just, this the location seem entirely random 
um, the U.S. government contacts her, and, and uh, speaking of uh, Forrest Whitaker, um, <laughs> Forrest Whitaker comes to her and says, hey, I have this MP3 player of alien sounds that don't even sound like a human language. Translate them. <laughs> to which she basically says, I have no idea what the fuck that is. You have to give me more than that. To which he's like, no, that's asking too much. <laughs> so, so you don't want her to actually do anything. Yeah, check it out. I got a fucking MP3 of like, I got an MP3 of me playing the spoons. What am I saying? <laughs> Yeah. So that that I think that's the one part of the plot that is just like flat out bad because it's like okay, you made him overly dumb to justify this. No, I can't let you near the aliens and then 5 minutes later, okay, I need to let you near the aliens. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's revealed that Amy Adams is struggling over the fact that her daughter has recently passed away from cancer and is a little distraught. I'd imagine. About that. I would imagine so. Yeah. So these these stresses and, of course, the imminent threat of we're not alone in the known universe and we have no idea what these alien visitors are capable of is added to those stresses. So on it, when she gets to the camp, she's introduced to the person she's going to be working with through the movie, uh, Jeremy Renner, who is a mathematician in the order of, think Jeff Goldblum, but less awkward. So Jeremy Renner. Yes. <laughs> and so the the these 12 um visiting alien craft are hovering over different parts of the world including over places that are controlled by rivals or potential antagonists of the United States like Russia and China, particularly China in this case. And to some extent, it seems that the uh, 12 different nations are sharing information as much as they can and inquiring it. But there seems to be a sense throughout the film that everyone's holding something back because they don't want to give the edge to any one nation. And for the next, I think, 45 minutes to an hour, Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner are trying to work out how to communicate with these aliens... Uh, that are septopods, which means they're squids with seven tentacles, basically, but no face or eyes or anything. So it's, I, I kind of called them um, fleshy versions of the Reapers from Mass Effect, if that gives you an idea of what they look like. Okay, yeah, that helps. <laughs> and they don't communicate with... Um, spoken language, or if they do, we can't understand it, because it's just like clicks and moans. So what they determine is that there seems to be a kind of universal um, written language that they use, which I'm not going to claim I understand it, but it seems they... At some point through the montage of learning, they figure out enough to do some basic communication with these aliens. Unfortunately, the problem with any sort of communication through language through an alien race without full mastery of the other language, you worry that complex concepts are going to be misinterpreted. Like, 
what are you doing here, the, the core concepts of that statement might not be conveyed very well. So it could mean anything from why are you in the, what is this location you are in, how did you get here, why are you still here, it's any number of questions, so it doesn't help for solving the problems of imminent political problems. Yeah. So, and that's the basic conflict of the movie. And there are those who, because they are afraid and don't understand, want to just try to destroy the aliens. And there's an attempt at one point to do so. But it ultimately fails. Uh, so, things get more out of... Things get more tough. Uh, the aliens cut off contact. The other nations cut off contact with the United States. Eventually, Amy Adams makes one last final attempt to communicate, and it's determined, and she does this by doing the one thing that they haven't done yet, which is enter the atmosphere of the uh, aliens themselves, because there's a distinct wall between them, presumably because the atmosphere of the aliens is not necessarily harmless to humans. Which... Makes sense. Yeah, that's a... Legitimate concern. Aliens breathe different shit. Yeah. But what's revealed then, and this is where the plot gets squirrely. um, Okay, so a a major portion of the scientific ethos of this movie is based on this theory that if you learn a different language, you also start to think in that language. Which, okay, interesting sci-fi concept and, well, interesting science concept that can be explored in numerous ways. The way this film decides to make it sci-fi is that by learning the language of the aliens, you gain the ability to perceive all the time of, all of your time in the universe at once. Rosetta Stone got weird. Yeah, so again, I, that's the spoiler. I'm sorry, I should have said a spoiler alert before. but So yeah, um, mastery of the alien language leads gives you the ability to perceive time non-linearly. And that creates problems because, as far as I can tell, the conflicts in the movie are resolved through knowledge that is obtained through perception of nonlinear time and then doing things that you've technically seen yourself already do and then having someone else tell you that they did it so that you know to do it in the first place. Also, it's it's discovered that Amy Adams hasn't had the daughter who uh, died of cancer yet at the beginning of this story and that the husband who left her, because we never see him at the beginning of the story, was Jeremy Renner, who she marries at the end of the story. So, yeah. Ow. Yeah. So, wait, did she start having, like, the memories or whatever of the daughter before she started learning the alien language? Yes, according to the, uh, the sequence of events as we saw it. Because the first 20 minutes before the aliens even appear... The first 10 minutes before the aliens even appear, she's thinking back on what happened to her child. But that hasn't happened yet. In linear time. But she's remembering it before she gains the ability to perceive time non-linearly because she 
gains the ability to perceive time non-linearly. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ, that is... Uh... You see how hard it is to try to dissect plot holes when you're perceiving a time in a non-linear fashion? Like, and I asked, but if you're perceiving time, but if you're perceiving time non-linearly before you can perceive time non-linearly, yeah. But here's the thing: I asked Caveman this question, and I guess I can ask you the same question. He didn't have a good answer for me either. If you can perceive all of the all of the things that you will ever do and have ever done all at once, what sense does cause and effect mean? What, like, what sense does cause and effect make? Because cause and effect is all about this progresses to this. But if you're perceiving everything at once to the point where you can draw on your own future to affect your past because you see your past and future at the same time, then what difference does the sequence of events make? Or how do you... Pers- ah! <laughs> okay, so I'm going to... I'm going to say what I think what I think is an answer. So Dr. Manhattan. He, oh right, he did see perceive He all perceives time all time at once. The past, the future and yeah. the past, the future and the present are all existing at the same time for him. But that didn't start happening till after he got his powers. Yeah, and the story never suggests that he was perceiving the uh, all time at once bef- until after he got his powers. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah like, the- like up to the point where he steps into that weird generator thing, he is experiencing time linearly. Something hap- He does something which makes something else happen, and boom, 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 and that is his life. And then he steps into that generator, and then he fucking explodes and puts himself back together. And then, as we are seeing him, we are seeing him at a fixed point in time, but he is experiencing every single second of his life at once. Everything up to the point where all the reactors or the fucking squid shows up. Depending on the movie yeah. version or the comic version. So that makes sense. We yeah. we are experiencing a we are experiencing the life of a person who perceives time non linearly in a linear fashion. Yeah. The way that what you're describing this but, is that is that a person who develops the ability to perceive time non linearly through the through a language starts perceiving time non-linearly before she knows that language exists. Yes. To the, like, where we are watching a linear plot where the pieces of this non-linear plot are told linearly, but not in a coherent order. Like, like the way that, like, the way that you're describing it, if, when when you first started describing it, what I thought it could have been... Pardon? You said Al. I did? What? Well, when I first started describing it, you said Al. Yeah, so my brain is healed a bit. So when you first, yeah, so when you first started describing it, what I thought it was going to be was n- like knowing what I knew about it going in, I thought like with her having the memories, it wasn't actually her having the memories. It was like her, it was like appropriately edited so that it looked like she was having memories, but it wasn't. It was just something that hadn't happened yet. But with the way that, and so it was, and so it was basically like just kind of like an Ouroboros kind of thing, where like the end of the story was encroaching on the beginning of the story. 
And I thought that's what I thought for a while. That's what they were going for. But her whole characterization. This is the weird thing about the way the plot plays out. Um, her her relationship as it develops with Jeremy Renner is defined the fact by the fact that is defined by the fact that she is a grieving mother and that he has never had a wife or children. So that's a plot hole. I'm assuming. I don't know. Like it. There needs to be some amount of linearity in a non-linear story. <clears throat> like, like I, I, if, I need to show this to Cora because it, he's better at this kind of cerebral sci-fi than I am. I'm trying to go with this concept because, like, I, I admit this is high-concept sci-fi, and this, this is made by Denise Villeneuve, the guy who made Sicario and uh, Prisoners, which are movies that have concepts in them that I understand, but I'm not necessarily comfortable with. So I'm okay with me not immediately just completely getting the movie. But there's just some stuff about this concept that doesn't work for me at some on some level. Yeah, like... They, so is it, like, clearly established that learning the language may, like is what kind of starts you on the path to, like, experiencing time in a circle, basically? Yes. Then I believe it's a plot hole because she starts experiencing time non-linearly before the set-up reason for why you experience time non-linearly happens. But is that but that's is that only a problem with the way the film is presented to us or with the original narrative? Because I guess if she's writing a story after the events have happened, but with these new powers in perspective. Like, if this is all technically told as if it has all already happened, it just, it starts at the beginning showing us stuff from the end. Is that a plot hole, or is that just obtuse? Like, 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 like if, that was the, if that was the situation, if, if it actually was, like, fucking, she's, like, fucking 90 years old, hanging out somewhere, telling the story of her fucking life, and she's, experi- and she's experiencing it all at once, then that would be, that would be a Dr. Manhattan situation. That would be him sitting, that would be her sitting on Mars talking about the fucking fair. But the way that you're describing it, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like we are experiencing things as she experiences them. And she starts experiencing yeah. things that haven't happened and have already happened at the same time before she has the ability to experience that. Yeah. <sighs> Can we move on? My head's starting to smell. <laughs> okay. Well... On, whereas I can move on to something you'll enjoy, Dead Man. I didn't intend to see this, but I'm glad I did. Whereas that, whereas Arrival is dense and difficult to understand because it's smart sci-fi. Assassin's Creed is just stupid. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I've heard a lot about the Assassin's Creed movie. Yeah, to. My exact words to Caveman, Jimmy, and Rollin, and Cora after I got out of this movie were, it's a dumpster fire. I love it. Okay. At one point in the middle of this movie, the main character says, what the fuck is going on? And I can't tell if he's just talking about what's happening to him in that scene, or just the plot of the movie. Probably a bit of both. Like, (sighs) so here's the thing. 
I'm a fan of the Assassin's Creed series of games. I am up to four, not including three. Yeah, like I... So, of the Assassin's Creed games, I have played a very significant amount of one, two, uh, Brotherhood, four, and Syndicate. I have not played... I have... I have not played Unity or Rogue, and I spent about 20 minutes in three and was like, fuck this guy. I pl- I beat I beat one. I played I beat all the Ezio games. I beat three and hated myself. And That's fair. I played four. And so I, I'm just gonna list off the things this movie does wrong, and that will make okay. you happy. Okay. Or maybe it'll maybe it'll annoy you. I don't know. If you're a fan, it might annoy you. Um. So this movie makes the strange decision to for its plot structure, downplay the stuff with the assassins in the past and play up the stuff with the Abstergo company in the present. Fuck you. <laughs> Fucking, I, no, one, just, no one came to goddamn Assassin's Creed for the riveting tale of Desmond Miles. Yeah, well, this isn't Desmond Miles. This is Michael Fassbender's Cal Lynch. And, and that's a terrible this name. This isn't... Uh, this isn't Altair or Ezio Auditore or whoever the fuck the Indian, the Native American kid is. It's Connor Kenway. The... Oh right, that I, I only re- I only remember the Kenway part because of uh, Edward Kenway. The Edward Kenway from the fourth one. Yeah. Um, My favorite assassin. Yeah, and his assassin ancestor is Aguilar, and he's in uh, Inquisition-era Spain. So, different time period. So, yeah. And they're setting, like, the ending of the the Spanish reconquest of um, the Reconquista of Spain from the Muslims in 1492 with the Templars taking the apple from the Sultan. Oh, that's the other thing. Um, you know how it took several games for the fr- the forward plot with the pieces of Eden to make even a semblance of sense? Yeah, before it was like, oh, it's just some magic bullshit. Then, oh no, the Garden of Eden was actually a slave plantation owned by future space aliens. Yeah, they tried to do the entire plot, the entire Blank of Eden plot in one two-hour movie. Oh, sweetie. <laughs> That was a mistake. So here's something that I've been wondering. Like I've been, I've been thinking about this. Like I've seen some reviews of this. I've seen a like, I've seen like you know re- recap review kind of things. I watched the reviews in the run, uh, the electronic playground, like playground uh, thing. And everyone's talking about how it's just this fucking bullshit thing where like the assassin stuff is more interesting but still not that well put together big and uh just so much of the fucking future shit is just nonsense yeah like i said the main character at one point says what the fuck is going on would it have been better the theater uh... okay would it have been better if they set it up like a post three assassin's creed game where the majority of it was spent in the fucking animus doing the fucking past shit and then 
there's this weird outside world where where like the like the point of view that we're getting is just some nameless faceless drone helping develop a video game maybe but i think in this case it doesn't ultimately matter all that much because the much like um Alti- much like Altair in the first game um Aguilar is a blank slate boring bland um insert character for our much more interesting Michael Fassbender Cal Lynch character to insert himself into and live out the ending of the Reconquista. By the way, um, would you say the Assassin's Creed games are supposed to be action games? Uh, as you got to la- some extent. As you got later on, they definitely got a lot more action. But from the jump, there's okay. always been some level of action in them. Yeah. So, um, aside from one or two, the action scenes in this movie are across the board shit. Okay. Like, worse than the first Resident Evil. Oh, wow. That is saying something. <laughs> like, and it's it's kind of a weird comparison, because, yes, the action scenes of Resident Evil are stupid, ridiculous, and rip off the Matrix. Here... The action scenes might be good because it's like a whole bunch of like people doing parkour stuff on in southern Spain and uh, at a sunny time of day, and that's a beautiful place to have action scenes, and they are committed to the martial arts. But they fucked this movie so hard in the editing booth. I feel bad for the actors <laughs> because. Um, in an attempt for to maintain period accuracy, uh, the film made the odd decision to have most of the action scenes have a large amount of CG or real smoke in front of the actors while they're fighting. Why? And also, a lot of the scenes are filmed with the overexposed bright orange sun in the background. Why? Was it period accurate that no one Our during scene- that fucking time could see? I guess. I guess it was also period accurate that a stone apple has computer circuitry in it. Maybe. Well, that's always been the fuck. That's always been the fucking thing. The pieces of Eden have always <laughs> felt out of place because they're supposed to. Yeah, but if they're supposed to feel out of place anyway, and it's in a video game, why bother with the period accuracy? Because it was developed by a diverse team of people from all different walks of life. Then why? Oh, also, they. I, I think this might be a fuck you to people of the game. Say, hat. That's stupid. That would never happen. They do the eagle leap twice. Once, um, they don't show it all the way through because he, the machine sh- uh, short circuits and gives the main character a spinal injury. Now, that's another thing. Um, have you seen what the animus looks like? Yep, it's a fucking VR setup uh, with a matrix la- jack. Also, it has this weird... I don't know if you, they've shown this or not in the trailers. I haven't watched all that religiously. But they keep cutting out of the assassin stuff to show other people in the Abstergo Corporation watching him live out these memories with little CG representations of whatever he's climbing on or whoever he's fighting. Yeah, like, like uh, I remember a bit in the trailer where like it showed uh, Aguilar like, you know, parkouring up a building and it showed, you know, Michael Fassbender in the fucking harness 
parkouring up there on the harness, just kind of dragging him along. Yep. That's dumb. That's dumb. Yeah. It's very dumb. And also, in combination with all those um, CG holograms all around him, there's a huge bright lens flare filter on the on the camera whenever they show any of the scenes of him in the Animus where it's active and they're not showing the stuff in Spain. So I literally can't tell what I'm looking at. For anyone out there who hasn't played the Assassin's Creed games, the Animus is a chair. Yeah, or a bed, I guess. Sometimes it looks more like a bed. It's something but... you sit down or lay down on, and then they put on this little fucking visor thing, and then you go back. Your body doesn't move. Like, like, like they don't even introduce, like, the idea that being in, like, being into the Animus gives you access to the skills of your ancestors until the fucking, like, third game in the series, which is Brotherhood. Yeah. And, oh, at point, start, he, he, and at that point, they'll start introducing the ideas of, like, uh, of temporal delusions, where you're essentially having, like, fucked up time flashbacks. Yeah, that happens in the first 30 minutes of this movie, and he gains the skills of his ancestor by ghost fighting him. Yeah, that's how that works. Yeah. And, um... Okay, so I've talked about the action scenes. I haven't mentioned... I think you've seen most of them, but... I haven't mentioned how many good or great actors are in this film that they completely waste. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, you know about Michael Fassbender. Um, Yeah, Jeremy Irons... um, was in this... Marion Cotillard... um, I'm gonna pull the full fucking cast list. Let me just name the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Brendan Gleeson... Michael Fassbender, Marion Cotillard, Michael Kenneth Williams. Those are the big ones. Who am I missing? Uh, Charlotte Rambley. I don't. I can't tell if I'm missing anyone else. And Michael K. Williams. I said him already. Okay, I did not hear that. Then that's it. Yep. Fassbender and Cotillard, oh, uh, Jeremy Irons, Gleason, Rampling, Williams. Yeah. Yeah, and Brendan Gleason does nothing but stand in a room. He barely has any dialogue. Cool. And his only purpose in this in this movie is that, as a kid, Cal apparently watched his father kill his mother. It's revealed later that the Templars were going to put her in the Animus, and she didn't want to, so she had her husband kill her. Um, Yay! But Cal blames his father for that, so Brendan Gleeson is being held in this place so that Abstergo can manipulate Cal into doing what they want but he doesn't kill his father and does what Abstergo wants anyway, and then once he has the apple, turns against Abstergo for reasons. Ah, neat. Also, uh, um, no, 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 not, not that. Um, apparently in the movie, uh, they, got, they got Brendan Gleeson's son to play the younger version of his character. Okay. Didn't know that. Didn't really care. But, um... It's neat. But that's all. That's all. The, that's all the fucking thing. Just looks stupid. Yeah, and Abstergo's even dumber than I thought because um, this place is—it's not a prison, but they have um, two dozen other assassin ancestors that they're just having hang out in a room when they're not using them in the Animus <laughs> all together at once. 
And none of the guards that are in the room have lethal weapons. Yeah, why would you want a lethal weapon? It's not like you're fucking in a room of soon-to-be fully trained assassins. Yep. And Michael Kenneth Williams just keep Michael K. Williams keeps saying stuff like, hey, don't go after the apple. These guys are bad. I also feel... <laughs> okay, so... But I think the... the I... Okay, so the worst of them... Um, I'll let you get to it in a sec. But the worst offender is Marion Cotillard. Because her characterization in the last quarter of this movie is incomprehensible. Where she thinks that her father... She thinks... Okay, so she knows her father works for the Templars. And what Abstergo is. And she knows what the Templars do. But she thinks they're getting the apple to rid the world of violence because it, the piece of Eden has the genetic code for human will. Um, she is, for some reason, surprised when her father then tells her they're going to wipe out the assassins and take over the world. Uh, when Cal shows up to assassinate him, she says, you know, I could scream and end this in a moment. She doesn't and lets it happen and then vows revenge on the assassins and to take the apple back. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Uh, to be fair, I blacked out half of you fucking ta- started talking. <laughs> yeah, that's probably an appropriate response. Anyway, what were you saying? I feel like... We haven't really actually said what the real plot of Assassin's Creed is. We've just been fucking throwing around, like, Animus, Assassin's Templars. I don't know. So. Okay, so, like, if, the, if you want, like, basic, bare-bones essentials, uh, the Michael Fassbender character is the ancestor, is the descendant of an, of an assassin who is put into this machine that allows him to live out the memories of his genetic ancestor as an assassin to reveal information about what happened to something called the Apple of Eden 500 years ago. That's so, the plot. So in the games, the Assassins and the Templars are two separate secret orders that have been around for centuries, that have been dueling for centuries, over these pieces of Eden for the purpose of controlling people uh the assassins believe that people should be allowed to live out with free will and be able to do how they want and that will lead to a better world or that will lead to the world uh, that will lead that will lead the world to the way it's supposed to be the templars believe that by by using the pieces of eden which is this ancient technology that was created by this precursor race that like created human beings as a fucking slave race for the garden of eden the Templars want to use those pieces of Eden to remove free will from the equation and bring everybody under their rule, which they which will remove all free will, but will also lead to, you know, utopia or whatever. I believe that is the actual motivation behind both the organizations. Yeah. That's how all that works. That is why that is why the that is why there is an organization called the Assassins and an organization called the Templars. <sighs> and as convoluted as that all that was, it still made sense. This, the film sums it up itself. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. 
and I don't think we'll ever find out what the fuck was going on because this film had the stupidity to come out. Well, maybe not stupidity. Maybe the studio was like, we need to dump this somewhere. Let's dump it in the middle of Rogue One's heyday. Yeah, it had the fucking dumbass shit. It had the dumbass idea to cost over $100 million. Yep. So they chipmunked they, it. Yeah. It cost $125 million. As of right now, they have made back $95 million. They haven't even That's, broken... Is that worldwide gross or... That is, I believe, worldwide... Yep, gross $95 million worldwide. <sighs> yeah, that doesn't surprise <sighs> me in the least. So yeah, terrible movie. You should see it. God, I wanted Just this to be good. Theaters. I wanted this to be good. So did people who thought that there was a chance that the video game movie curse would ever break and don't watch Japanese movies. <laughs> yeah. Just watch video. Just watch Japanese movies. Although some of those are shit too. Yeah. Well, if they watch the Japanese movies, they'll never see the big name actors that they know and can understand. Yeah, I mean, who all did they get in um, the Far Cry movie? They got one of the guys from Inglorious Bastards and Udo Kier. <laughs> yeah. I think Uva, actually, I guess that's one good thing that came out of um, uh, 2016. Uva Bull said, I'm retiring. I can't make movies anymore for as cheap as I want to make them. Yay! <laughs> Fuck you, German tax loopholes. You're the uh, reason we got so much of that shit. All right, so those were the three big films I wanted to talk about. I was trying to see if I need to run through anything else. Uh I don't know if I talked about Doctor Strange, but I thought it was pretty good. Oh, we've talked uh, at length about Doctor Strange, but you can go on to give your own thoughts and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like Benedict Cumberbatch. I like this direction from Mordo, because I always thought Mordo was one of the less interesting antagonists in the comics, and they made him a bit more interesting here. Uh, It is very Iron Man, the plot of the movie, but it's different enough. And I like the climax of the main character just annoying the main, the an all powerful god to death. So I gotta do it. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm more looking forward to seeing what they do with him because I'm kind of getting sick of character origin stories. I know they sometimes have to do, in particular, with something as obscure as Doctor Strange. But I look forward to this at this point now to what they do with the characters, not setting them up. Yeah, it's although it's it like Marvel has a really reliable formula for origin stories. Yeah, and it's always what happens next that's most interesting. What is actually why I'm really yeah. looking forward to the new Spider-Man because they aren't even fucking. No, they're just he's he's Spider Man. Yeah, he, they're not yeah. doing any of the origin story. And Michael Keaton is Birdman. I mean Vulture. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to see that movie. It looks so good. Yeah, I do too. I, and I need something as a palate cleanser after fucking Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, I for, I keep forgetting that's coming out. Happy birthday, Dead Man! Yay! 
I could use my hard-earned birthday money to go see some fucking horse cock. Well, if you want, you could see the Ghost in the Shell movie instead. (laughs) No, you can do that. (laughs) I'll expect a review of that done. (laughs) I got Power Rangers. I got Power Rangers. Rangers. (laughs) I fuck it. Might as well. Have you seen Zordon? Uh, I've seen the, I've seen the screenshot of a screenshot. Yeah, I guess I should wait until a trailer before we talk about what Zordon looks like. It could, that could be fake, but. Yeah, we want to, we want to get like a full on thing. We either, we either got to wait for like an actual trailer or the more likely thing we got to wait for the toy to come out. Yeah. This is going to sound weird, but it, it, is it wrong that I want Bad Robot to surprise us every year now? Like last year, out of nowhere, around the end of January, they announced, hey, uh, this movie's coming out in March, and it was fucking amazing. Eh, not, not really. Like, they... Like, Bad Robot's kind of fucking making bank with a bunch of other shit they're doing, so they might as well put their efforts toward producing, like, fucking fantastic lower-budget movies. Yep. And just fucking saying, hey, okay. dick birds, guess what? This whole thing's available on YouTube now. Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yo, you want some fucking slush-o dog? Or whatever the fuck that brand is? Yeah. Alright, so I watched the first four episodes of Justice League action and some clips from other episodes. It's pretty good. Okay. It's kind of a mixed bag, but the more I think about it, so was some of the stuff in the original Teen Titans, and that's what I would compare this to more. It's more a, it's a little bit more mature than Teen Titans, but it's very much that sense of humor, that style of um, storytelling, just in ten-minute fragments. Yeah, I watched... But it uh, gets into uh, obscure DC shit, but I'll, what you were saying? Yeah, just with uh, like the tone of it, I... So far, I've only seen like one or two clips, and one of the clips I saw was after Batman and Blue Beetle got sent back in time. We get to see a fucking first look of Batman, and it is uh, like fucking Kevin Conroy posing yeah, like making fun of the animated series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Kevin Conroy posing like the animated series, but he fucking climbs up a wall like 1960s Batman and actually says the fucking "I am the Night" bullshit. Yep, and then modern Batman just like fucking keep your head down, keep going. You're like that, I will kill you. <laughs> yeah. And then Blue Beetle has to suit right, to fucking so... take pictures. Yeah. And there's plenty... Okay, so, um, the voice acting is kind of a mixed bag. Um, the guy doing John Constantine is too British. Like, I don't know if... I didn't look up if this was a British voice actor, but his idea of British is... Borderline is unintentionally comical instead of just what they were going for. Yeah, he... To the point I, I, I've where heard... when they do the... When they do the Justice League Babies episode, it's borderline unwatchable. <laughs> yeah, I saw a clip of him doing that accent, and it was... He was pushing it hard, but he can't do a British accent to save his ass. Because he's Northern Irish. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Do you think he's intentionally doing a shit accent just to say, fuck you, England? That's entirely possible. 
But um, also, in apparently, terms of voice acting. Apparently, this guy his best known work, uh, at least before Just League Action, was in the first and fourth Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Okay, whatever. <laughs> also, theater. Sure. But um, in terms of voice acting, I really did like. Uh, surprisingly, Crispin Freeman as Martian Manhunter is fantastic. <laughs> cool. Like, just imagine the voice of Alucard saying, that is my attempt at uh, Earth humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman are fine. They're not... There's nothing to write home about. They're playing the characters. Nothing all that great. There's some weird design decisions with them because I think the aesthetic makes them look younger than they should be, I guess. It's hard to tell the difference between... It, it's got a little of the Bruce Tim, the later Bruce Tim thing where you can't tell the difference between, women, between a, like full-on mature women and like uh, teenagers, teenage girls, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I definitely know. In all the fucking lead up, my biggest weird thing that was giving me like apprehension to this series was the fact that Wonder Woman looked like she was about 12. Yeah, and she, they do enough with how she carries herself that she doesn't look 12, but I would say at most 18, which is weird because Superman looks like an actual adult. Yeah. Yeah. And also, this I've I do like that they're they've they're redeem that DC is just as a whole redeeming Superman. Yeah, because totally it, it, the last five or six years before this most recent renewal, they just kind of fucked Superman over. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in um, an episode of uh, Jail of Justice League Action, um, Steppenwolf transports Superman to a planet with a red sun to try to kill him. And Superman still takes him out along with three other Apocalypse guards. And when, so when Barda and Batman show up to save him, they're like, you took out Steppenwolf with no powers? And I broke my leg while doing it. And Batman's like, hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <sighs> and they, they're also playing the points game while on Apocalypse. So Bart, when Batman was like, that's one. And Bart's like, you said you wouldn't keep count. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, stuff like stuff like that's great, but it's I'm amazed at the degree of obscure DC shit they get into in this show so far. Like, um, uh, let's see, some of the most ex- have you ever heard of Space Cabby? I have not. Yeah, apparently he's a superhero who inherited an alien um, transport vehicle. Who, because of its powers, he he's technically a superhero, but more he's just. An intergalactic cabbie for superheroes. Yeah, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. His, his abilities listed is expert driver. Yep. That's it. Yeah. It's been around since 54. And actually, I think a lot of this may be coming from 50s DC because uh, Firestorm fights something that feels like it's out of Fallout called the Nuclear Family. Oh, yeah, them. Their, I've heard um, of them. Yeah. Yeah, they're nuclear they're nuclear powered robots that try to nuke 
most of the world. So it's like, that way we're not treated as outcasts and we have a nice radiated place to live as a family. Oh, sweetie, isn't it great? Here it sure is. Now, son, eat that man. Okay, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. It's This shit is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the... It, the height of ridiculousness is still when Toy Man attaches devices to Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Cyborg to control them as video game characters. And yeah, then they that's probably right. Proceed to poke to make fun of injustice gods among us, and it's ridiculous. Um, like, have you played Injustice? Oh hell yeah! Okay, so you know about the ridiculous finishing move type attacks. Yeah, like where suit where like a uh, Superman punches somebody through the earth, or or no, Doomsday punches somebody through the earth. Superman knocks him into orbit, then back down. Batman just like fucking buries him in batarangs, then just hits him with a Batmobile. Yeah, we're like, well, when Wonder Woman is forced to fight Batman in a video in this video game format, she's like, Batman, please don't let me hurt you until uh, Toy Man triggers her special attack, and she's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> Where she golden lassos him into orbit and then slams him into the earth. <laughs> yep, that seems about right. <laughs> so yeah, shit like that. I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the show more, but it is an adjustment, I will say, because uh, like I'm used to my Teen Titans, I'm used to my Justice League, kind of intermixing them. It's a bit of an adjustment period. But um, also another thing that's been re- uh, redeemed since the New Fifty Two era, uh, Lobo's back. The big man. Yep, the proper Lobo, the like with the bit the looks like a wrestler, but with dressed like a biker, to the point and such a douche that he uses the Justice League to get rid of the Red Lanterns who he pissed off because he stole their Lantern Corps. Cool. So yeah, um, not many of these episodes are available stateside yet. There's only like four, and those are kind of a mixed bag because it's a bunch of. Uh, I'll, I'll give it this: I was not expecting a just a Justice League show to start off with something as a kind of obscure as Shazam. They're still calling but, Captain Marvel Shazam. Oh, no, no. Like, with Shazam, they're referring to the wizard. Uh, it, he's calling him Billy Batson and Captain Marvel and Black Adam. I'm sorry. I should have made that more clear. But, uh... Okay, yeah, it... Okay, no, this is weird. Because in all the official shit, like, like, he, like it's credited as, like, Sean, a- like, Sean Astin is credited as Billy Batson slash Shazam. And they refer to Shazam as the wizard. That's weird, because I could have sworn I heard Batman call him Captain Marvel, but I might have to watch the episode again to be certain. But, um... Okay. Actually, there's two other um, voice acting decisions that were brilliant. Uh, Diedrich Bader as Booster Gold. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was that's great. And um, James Woods as Lex Luthor. Yeah, that fits. That just, yep. Actually, a little bit surprised it's been taken. It's t- it took this long. <laughs> Maybe they wanted people to take James Wood, uh, not James Woods. They wanted to take Lex Luthor a little more seriously. Whereas this guy, he's just a slime ball. 
to the point where the first episode I saw him in, uh, he teams up with Cersei to steal a device that allows him to use the powers of the gods and Wonder Woman to get out of the situation, uses the lasso of truth to reveal that to make Lex reveal that he's going to turn on Cersei once he has all the powers he wants. And he's and he's he's just like, I'm going to turn on her once we get out of here. What do you think? <laughs> he's not intimidating, <laughs> but he's funny. <laughs> and for this story, I think that works. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah that makes some sense. This does not seem so, yeah, like so, the kind of show where they take many things that seriously. Yeah. Although, um, in terms of matchups that I think should have happened sooner, but I'm kind of surprised haven't, uh, they had one episode with Swamp Thing and Zatanna versus Solomon Grundy and an army of zombies in New Orleans. Okay, yeah, that, that makes some sense. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, um pretty damn well not uh pretty good. I'll say pretty good. So like uh 3 out of 5. 3.5 out of 5. Okay. And uh at least out of what I've seen so far. But that's it for me. Okay then. So on to me. So I watched a movie. Is it called a movie? Uh nope, it's called Spotlight. Oh. Yep. Really good movie, but yeah, <laughs> we need Jimmy here for this. I it was fine. Okay, from what I understand, it's very it was well made, but very workmanlike. Yeah, like it's it's something that I do have a certain amount of respect for. Like there weren't like a whole lot of big like artistic flourishes and everything it wasn't like there was never a scene where like everybody just kind of fucking like set like where like michael keaton or fucking mark ruffalo just walked in had this giant fucking speech that lasted for five minutes that then like turned the like changed the mind of their boss who was trying to get them to shut down the story due to pressure from the church it was all it was all it was all just very much like there was some pressure from the church but it was just reporters doing reporting shit There's a mont- There's a montage of a guy making a spreadsheet. Yeah, cuz like I I mean, I'm a little fine with that. I'm fine with that given this type of story and artistic flourishes do not necessarily make a good movie. See Assassin's Creed or in the case of uh Michael Keaton movies, see Batman Returns. <laughs> Meh. But end of the day it's still a biopic. Yeah, no, I, I I completely understand that complaint that despite this being a really good story, decently directed and written, performed by good actors, it's also one of the most standard type of Oscar movies out there. There's like five or six a year. Yeah, this... It says something that this, is, that this was apparently one of the biggest like fucking critical darlings of the year, and I did not hear about it until I saw that it was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, well, that was like two years. Was that last year or two years ago? Last year, I think. Well, well yeah. Well, by last year, I mean 2015. I'm sorry. but if... Yeah. Uh... Yeah. <sighs> anyway, 
uh, yeah, so for those who don't know, it is a movie, it's a biopic retelling the story of how a investigative journalism uh, unit at uh, the Boston Globe uh, broke the story of widespread uh, system- and systemic child abuse in the Roman Catholic Church in Boston, as well as other areas. They broke that story. It got everybody on the team, like, pulled surprises and shit. It was this big old stuff. And, yeah. So, it's really, it's kind of weird going to this movie, because it's a four-man team. And the third man doesn't really get any kind of real billing. Well, sorry, the fourth man, I guess. Like, like the three mains are Michael Keaton, uh, Rachel McAdams, and Mark Ruffalo. And then there is uh, Brian Darcy James. He plays the fourth main, like, core member of, like, the uh, investigative journalism team. But he is not credited anywhere. Like, look at the poster. Look at, look at the poster. Fucking Stanley Tucci gets higher billing in the fact that he gets actual billing on the poster. When Stanley Tucci was in, like, well, on screen for a total of like ten minutes. Okay. Yeah, Stanley Tucci plays. Uh, Stanley Tucci plays an attorney uh, representing the victims of the church. But yeah, so it starts out with uh, like the spotlight team, as they are called, investigating uh, like some kind of police thing, and then they get a new editor. Uh, Marty Baron, played by Lee of Schreiber, who then says, "Hey, so uh, we got the story. We got like somebody calling in about how a priest, how a priest raped him. Can we like look into that?" And they do. And it turns out that there were fucking ninety priests, or whatever, hundreds of dozens, thousands. I don't fucking know. And they start going through all their fucking books and shit, looking at a uh, like court, like fucking building up and building up, you know, corresponding things, making shit reach to this and to that and to that and that. And, then, yeah, they released a story and everything went to fucking whatever. Weirdest thing, weirdest thing about this movie, though, is that they treat... Like, the way that they talk about Spotlight, it sounds like talking about a fucking superhero team. Yeah, well, I think that's the Oscar dramatization talking. Yeah, like, I, I feel like... I've, I'm almost certain this wasn't said... But I feel like it would have been, and it would not have fell out of place, where somebody just says, this looks like a job for Spotlight. And then... Just meanwhile, at the Spotlight office, just everybody treats Spotlight as this fucking big hullabaloo, which in the paper, yeah, maybe, but... The only, like, the only way that fucking Mark Ruffalo gets Stanley Tucci to talk is by saying that he is from Spotlight. Like Mark, like uh, Sally Tucci's like, hey, I don't want to fucking talk about this. It's, you know, attorney client confidentiality and all, everything. And then he's like, dude, I'm from Spotlight. Fucking trust me. He's like, oh, you're from Spotlight, are you? Well, then, let's fucking get this shit going, dog. That sounds like one of those things where the movie doesn't do enough to establish why saying that would make that much of a difference to him. Yeah, like there's a couple lines that say that. Like the spotlight team has like broken a lot of really big stories in the city. They're like really, they're like really well respected reporters and stuff. But it feels incredibly throwaway and just like they just threw it in there, or because it was the truth, but not the interesting side. 
He's just like, yeah, they broke and broke all these stories, but fuck that shit. They're going to fucking look at a fucking priest touching kids or whatever. And there's one goddamn hilarious scene where uh, Rachel McAdams like goes and finds one of the priests and talks to him. And the priest is like, and he's like, uh, and so like, hey, so I have like people have been accusing you of like, you know, touching kids like, oh, yeah, I did. But it wasn't like it was rape or anything. And then just his mom comes over and is like, hey, we he is not talking to you. Yes. Thank you very much. He's like, oh, fucking whatever. Is God damn a, it. Yes. Is there a sufficient description uh, explanation as to why the the actors don't think why, why the priests don't think what they're doing is rape? Or is that just something that's remarked upon and just left there? It was this one guy. He uh, like he was the one who like he seemed like fucking developmentally disabled somehow. Like, like this, this guy was in his fucking fifties, living with his mother. Like, like when his, like when he, when he saw that as when his mom saw, or like his daughter, or sister, whatever, fucking whatever, when some member of his family saw that he was talking to somebody, she fucking ran over. Was like, no, honey, we don't talk to people outside. Just go back in. And I have heard that there's a lot of that in this movie. That it's, it's as much about the culture of the Catholic Church in this universe as it is about these specific characters. Yeah. But I always have a problem... I, so, I sometimes have a problem with those kinds of movies because it's just... Um, I get the dramatization of the story, but I sometimes get upset with the idea of just pretending... or or like... Not pretending. Um, Sidelining the major characters for the sake of talking about a place. Like, The Wire, it talks about the city, but it talks about it in the context of these characters that they develop and talk about. But I guess that's the difference between a TV series and a movie. Yeah. Uh, actually, speaking of talking about, uh, like, just the church itself, uh, there are... There are fairly, like, not insignificant chunks of this movie that is every character sitting around a phone on speakerphone talking to Richard Jenkins, who is, who is like, saying, yeah, so I've been doing work with, you know, I, I used to work for, like, to try to rehabilitate priests who fucking raped kids. But then I left that and then started publishing papers about how many priests rape kids. And, like, it's at least 10% or whatever. And so... And so, like, there's a bit where they say, all right, so we have, like, 13 names on this list. Like, does that sound about right to you? It's like, no, it sounds low. If it was me, I think it would be, like, 90. Which turns out he's right. Yeah, then every time, they, every single time they go and try to do something like that, they, like, like try to talk to somebody about the, about the fucking church or whatever, uh, everybody gets real uppity about it. Like uh, in like, there's a point where the where the people with a paper is trying to get like records released so that they can start investigating this shit properly. But they were sealed up by the church, so they went to court. And then as they're going in there, uh, he they say like, so the church has these records, and then the and the judge actually stops him and says and it says, say the Boston Archdiocese, show them the fucking respect they deserve. It's like, okay, then the archdiocese. Yeah, and I I think that's a part of the point that the inter, that the inter, integration of the Roman Catholic Church into this into this local culture is so ingrained that any attempt to cast 
dispersions on them is an affront to not just the church itself, but to anyone who feels socially obligated to it. But the the problem with that kind of a storyline is that you have to write really strong, convincing characters and show them why they are so committed to the court. Well, they are so committed to their faith that they are willing to not even justify a completely sound um, request from a judge for personal reasons. Like, when you do stuff like that, you have to have strong characterization. From the sounds of it, you're making it sound like it's just kind of workman-like. Yeah, it's all just kind of there. Like, like we never really see the judge outside of that one scene where the judge says, hey, where the judge says, hey, say the, say the archdiocese. Uh, but I will say that they do a decent job not this, this this isn't like this isn't like a shown as being a this is this is, this is shown, this is shown as being a, like a widespread problem but not so much so that it uh that it affects like the entirety of the organization like like yes the information needs to be out there and stuff but it is not like a it's not like oh fuck the church they rape kids. It, it is that is that some people within the church rape kids, Do and then and, and then the church itself, and like people within the church want to try to cover that up, to, you know, to keep the church's name good. Like one of the like one of the people they keep bringing up is a Cardinal Bernard Law, who is a real person who helped cover up this shit, and then and then um, resigned and was promoted to one of the biggest churches in the world. And within the actual spotlight team, only one of them is only one of them seems to have like any kind of real bit of beef with the church, and not even like that real. Like uh, he was a like Mark Ruffalo's character, uh, Michael Resendez, was a former Christian who stopped just stopped going to church and kind of like lost faith or whatever. And one of the things I saw from some of the trailers was him giving like his giving like a little bit of an impassioned speech, like we need to fucking get these people so we can stop them from happening. He stopped the shit from happening all over again. But everybody else is just kind of we follow the story. Yeah, everybody else is just we not, are. That's not necessarily a bad thing because I think it, if you, some people would argue that if you portray all of these investigators as having something personal against the church, you delegitimize their argument. Yeah, and because that because that's what a lot of that's what people like Trump do is that they say. You have a personal problem with me, therefore any arguments you have against what I stand for and represent are invalid because you have a beef with me personally. Yeah, and they so. and no, no nobody nobody in here comes across as bitter towards the church. It is just they don't really have faith anymore, so they just kind of stopped going, or they weren't really that into it in the beginning, like from the beginning. So they just kind of never really went. It is a very There's this, there's a line in the movie where they talk about a uh, Baron, the new editor, who who is Jewish, which is apparently important because he is an outsider, and so you need somebody with so you need somebody from the outside to give you a new perspective on a story or whatever. Like and one of, near the end of the movie, uh, they kind of reveal that uh, the paper actually received a list of twenty pedophile priests from a lawyer. Like fucking, like fucking ten years ago that nobody ever followed up on, 
because they just didn't believe it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I heard that part of the plot. Yeah, so it's not bad or anything. It's just workmanlike. It is a biopic about fucking reporters trying to expose child molesters. Yep. It should not have won Best Picture, but I can totally see why it did. Yeah. Well, I mean, winning Best Picture is no... Winning Best Picture means nothing. (laughs) Winning Best Picture means fucking nothing. Like, there are times when the Best Picture winner is like, oh, well, fuck, yeah, of course, but there's a lot of times where it's just the politics of the situation, and thus it's kind of hard to take the award seriously. It's actually... Yeah, just, ooh, it's a biopic about... Like, ooh, it's a biopic about a very big story involving a cast of... Involving a cast of incredibly... Incredibly, like, lucrative actors. It's like, yeah. yo, has Michael Keaton got... Yo, has Michael Keaton gotten, gotten too many Oscars? What about Mark Ruffalo? Has he gotten one yet? No? Okay, fuck it. Here you go. Yeah, because the same thing was true with, um... Uh, what's his... Um... The, with uh, the movie Leonardo DiCaprio won his best ask, best Oscar best actor Oscar for The Revenant. The Revenant certainly not his best film by any means or his best performance, but but he got cold and ate they fish. Just decided, yeah, they just decided. Well, I guess it's your turn. Yeah. Just oh look! It appears that Leonardo DiCaprio fellow has developed a very eloquent beard. Better give him an Oscar now. <laughs> Could somebody please refill my O2 tank? I appear to be dying. No. So yeah, anything else? Uh, yeah, movie? I also watched a couple TV shows. Uh, this, is, this is a small list for me, but everything else that I've kind of watched was either watching something I've already talked about at in length or anime. Okay. Or just playing games or whatever. Anyway, so beyond the latest show from Freeform. Okay. That's the studio that used to be ABC Family and brought us the likes of Shadowhunters. I watched this because I'm an idiot. I think I've seen advertisements for this. I wasn't sure what to make of it. So, in the year... 2005 the far off distant past a young boy by the name of Holden Matthews went into a coma after being exfiled he walked okay. into the he walked into the woods shit in the ground started floating then a bright light shot at him he's then in a coma for 12 years and he wakes up and he's fine Totally, 100% fine. In every conceivable way. Including mentally. Which you'd think he wouldn't be. Considering the fact that he that when he fucking went to sleep, he was in 7th grade. And when he woke up, he was in his 20s. But apparently he aged in that time too. Because he acts like a fully functioning adult more or less. So, yeah, he's awake and everything's fucking super. 
meets up with his best buddy and shit, and everything is new and weird and whatever. Turns out he has superpowers now. Because when he was in his coma, his mind went to another plane of existence. He went to a he went to a new realm that is called the realm. Yeah. Can't remember when it was time from there, but there's hot lady who's like, yo, we were a thing in there. Remember, you get your powers and shit. Helps have my grandpappy. This show's real boring. Really, really boring. It's not even necessarily that bad. Like, main guy is fine. Like, he's decently likable. He is an all right actor. He, the writing does not ever give him a chance to actually act like a person who just woke up from a fucking 12-year coma. Which I feel like that, I feel like that acting would just be a lot of crying and screaming. But, yeah, just, there's just kind of nothing. Like, this show is... This, sh- this show is entirely what yeah. I ex- this show is entirely what I expect from the former ABC Family Network. Just something that has a slightly interesting premise that they just don't really go anywhere with. Well, that's ABC's general motto, and because yeah. in general they're like, "Hey, good idea. Let's not do anything with it." <clears throat> Agents of Shield. Yeah, one thing that uh, they. One thing that they did that I actually did like, they didn't go full on with the resentful brother, resentful sibling. Like, every fucking time I watch a movie where somebody wakes up from a coma after being in one for, like, fucking a decade or whatever, when they were kids, their sibling usually hates them. Because, like, oh, you're fucking awake now, everything's all about you, but what about me? I'm fucking here. Uh." And for the longest time, they didn't do that. It was just... It was just, hey, my brother's awake. I had a good relationship with him when we were kids, and now he's back. So, yay. Good things. I've changed. He hasn't, but fuck it. That could still work. And for a while it does. But then he actually, but then they just fucking stop, and he says, you know, everything was all about hold, but you still had me. It turns out he's a drug dealer or whatever. So they subvert the trope just long enough to surprise you when they do the trope you were expecting? Yeah, pretty much. Brilliant. Yeah, that's the level of writing I expect from fucking Freeform. One thing that they did so that was like an... One thing that Sorry, they did, I'll, I'll let you finish first. Okay, yeah, one thing that they did with like the release of the show that was really weird was they... So the first two episodes aired on the same night, and they're also available for streaming on the Freeform website. So is the rest of the season. Like, okay. It, like, if you have, like, the Freeform Network or whatever on your fucking cable provider, if you still have cable, then you can then you can get access to the entire series and watch it all at once. Like a Netflix show. I would, or you can I watch would it as it's released week to week. Anymore. Why would anyone have cable anymore? 
Because they're idiots. Or they're old. Or they're rich. Fuck it. I don't know. Maybe someone saw on TV. It's like, oh hey, honey, if we get like, we get it's like if we get this fucking high speed internet, we can also in, we can also include cable in there for like an extra fifty bucks. And they're like, that sounds like a fucking deal. I want to have something that just kind of plays where I don't have to pay attention to it. And the YouTube autoplay feature is just too slow. Yeah. So yeah, so they released the entire season like Netflix, and then are also releasing it piecemeal on television. Sounds like a brilliantly stupid model. <sighs> I got four episodes in before I just said fuck it. No, sorry, three and a half episodes Understandable. in. Understandable. Also, doesn't help that like their main bad guy is a guy who I keep thinking is Tom Kenny. The guy who voices SpongeBob. Yeah, I have no idea who it actually is though. Like. So far, the only name we've been given for him is Yellow Jacket. And I can't seem to find that credit on IMDb. Okay. Let me just double, let me just double check here. Uh, da, da. Yeah, I... Don't... Yeah, I don't see him on here. It really sucks. I've seen that guy in other stuff, and I think he is an all right actor. It's just with his fucking glasses and his fucking dad, everything, and his goddamn. Okay, yeah, his name is Peter Kalamus. His name is Peter Kalamus. He was in Cabin in the Woods, Happy Gilmore. He is a. He was apparently in a bunch of episodes of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Yeah, he he just looks a lot like fucking SpongeBob. Yeah, and I feel like it's just me because I don't ever I don't ever hear anybody else say that. Well, I can't imagine I've ever heard anyone say, "Hey, he looks like SpongeBob." But let me just send you a picture and see if you see it too. So I'm just to make sure I'm not crazy. I might just say you're crazy anyway. Probably, but never hurts to try. Uh he looks like a nondescript white guy to me. <laughs> okay. I don't know, he just he just comes I whenever I see him, I just always think Whenever the second I see him, I'm like, "Oh, hey, Tom Kenny." No, wait, that's not Tom Kenny. But yeah, so he's our main bad guy. <sighs> okay. It was funny at first. It was funny seeing that fucking dad walk in with his fucking yellow leather jacket. And try to be threatening. But then it just got sad. Hopefully the other... Something similar doesn't happen to you with your other... Um, 
coming soon uh, intentional poisoning hit uh, Riverdale. <laughs> oh, that show's going to be a fucking dumpster fire. <laughs> fucking it's like Gotham levels of missing the point. Fucking Cody from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody is playing Jughead. Anyway, final thing of note to talk about is Crazy Head. Is it the story of your life? Uh, no. No, this is a British comedy horror-ish series about two girls who can see people possessed by demons. Okay. Yeah, so it starts out with uh, two people, with two ladies wearing clown masks, kidnapping a girl, and then them failing to understand what an exorcism is. Like she, like one of the girls fucking pulls up on her phone, like you know, Google instructions how to perform an exorcism. He's like, all right, so you got to pee on her. He's like, what the fuck am I peeing on her? And then we flash back forty eight hours later, where one of the ladies, let me just pull up their names because I cannot remember them. So, Amy. Uh, Amy, uh, she is a girl who, uh, who for most of her life has been on antipsychotics. She's been seeing things. Everyone thinks it's a mental illness. Uh, turns out she's seeing demons. And they're real. And one day a demon threatens to kill her in the fucking parking lot. And then our other lead, uh, Raquel, shows up and beats him with a fucking nightstick. And says, hey, guess what? You're not crazy. You're seeing demons. I see them too. Now walk with me to my psychiatrist's office. And yeah, the two of them then start, like, fucking torn a friendship and going off to fight demons and shit. Uh, Amy's roommate gets possessed, which is why they try to perform an exorcism on her. Uh, it works, but kills her. Not sure and I things can call that saying it works. Uh, don't worry, she don't worry, she got better later. Uh, of course. Yeah, and then just things kind of go from there. We learn some more about Raquel's past. Uh, turns out she's a half demon. Okay. <laughs> which is really weird because, like, like her being a half demon explains why she can see demons, but it doesn't explain why other things happen like why there are other seers like are all seers like they call them seers people can see demons like are all seers fucking half demons what's the deal with that they might explain this later I don't know I only got three episodes in six episode show the humor in this show relies largely on awkwardness sounds like it like one like like a Raquel's whole thing is that whenever she needs to come up with a lie, she makes up the fucking worst lie possible. And you see Amy just really awkwardly agreeing to it. Like, okay. Like, uh, like, like when they, like when they're out in the woods, they, uh, they, you know, bur- burying Amy's roommate's body, uh, their the car fucking breaks down. So you have to call somebody and they say, it's like, all right, so anybody ask why we're out here? We're lesbians who love the smell of pine. And they get back, someone and it's like, hey, that line? yeah, someone did. And then they get back to fucking Raquel's place, talk to her brother, and it's like, what? What do you do? It's like, oh, we, 
I love the smell of pine. And then in the most awkward sexual advance I've ever seen in my life, she tries to seduce this guy. And apparently it works. It must have been a while since he got any. I suppose. And then we get to watch fucking two minutes of him awkwardly trying to find the best, sexiest way to hang out in bed waiting for this girl to show up. But she never does. At, at first, I thought. At first, I thought it was fine. Like I liked the characters. I liked the way. I liked like the uh, interplay between Raquel and Amy. I liked the demon effect. The demon effect is this weird, like desiccated look on the face with like just weird, subtle hints of like fire or something behind, like like peeking through the fucked up skin. And they use it. And okay. they use it a bit spare. And they use it a bit sparingly. Like it's not like every time they see a demon, it's like oh fucking bleh. Like when the demon first shows up, we will like see that. To signify, oh, this is fucking trouble. And then after that, we will usually just see them as, like, standard-faced person. Which, cost-saving measure, yes, but I... I like the effect. And the humor... While I'm not really a fan of awkward humor, it did work at the beginning. But after a while, the humor just kept on that level. And... And I was kind of not really caring where the story went. Because there was no real active threat like this is a mini series it's a six episode season so I figure it's going to have like a very like A to B to C kind of story structure for it where big threats introduced and then it kind of just goes like like that's how that's how a lot of these like shorter season uh, British series work like most of the time when I, when I, that I watch or yeah, or if it is over the course of a long period of time, like a like a fucking Doctor Carol and Jonathan Strange, I think that's what it's called. That thing about like two wizards, and it's like really good. If you go, if you go watch that, uh, Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. Yeah, that's it. That is a really good show. I really enjoyed that, and that and that was also six, that was also like six episodes, but it also spanned a very wide period of time in these guys' lives, so it... And it also had, like, a big thing happening that felt big. This is... Oh, hey, we introduced this bad guy. Uh, he is the girl's psychiatrist. They see him once, and never again in the fucking three episodes that I watched, which is half the series. Okay. Like, like that's that's the fucking, like, plot setup for a, like, fucking week-to-week, like, 12 to 20 episode series. Okay. Because what, what you need to do is, if, the, if, you're having the, if you're having the main bad guy be somebody who is close to the girls, but doesn't see them all the time, you have to have enough period of time so that, we, so that they could, like, come back to him and see him multiple times, and then, like, help kind of show and build what he is doing while also also having them go off and do their own shit but this is just kind of like serialized of we met him we've not seen him since with occasional cuts back to him getting angry also he is a demon but they never see him with his fucking demon face and this never really explained because every other demon they see they see like that 
I, I gotta be honest, Deadman, you're not giving me much to say in response to this. I don't really. Yeah, have that's that, I that, that's fine. To. That's totally fine. It's the it is a it is a show that has its funny moments. Like with uh, like they actually kind of bring they actually bring back like the uh, cell phone look up demon shit where they were trying where like they Raquel's dad was about to get sent back to hell and in order to do that the fucking mom because one of the demons fucking bounty hunters was a mom she fucking pulled her phone and had to like fucking Google how to send a demon back to hell which okay. I just. I, I found that funny. It worked in context. Uh, some of the jokes landed, but after a while, same style of humor just fell really flat. And none of the story beats felt important or really worth spending any time with. So, yeah. Check it out if you want. But definitely check out Jonathan Strange Mr. Norrell. That is a good show. I've heard that. But, yeah, that's all I got. Yay. I had a very uneventful holiday season. Anyway. I guess that could be a good thing. You you weren't cursed. No, I wasn't. No more so than I already am. Yeah, I know. So, those are what we're watching then. Yeah, those are what we're watching then. On to news. So, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is coming back next week with their brand new storyline, LMD. And unfortunately, this means that we will not be getting any more Ghost Rider. And that's because the, that's because because they the show... they can't afford him. Yep, they can't afford him. Uh, Jed Whedon, co-showrunner, and uh, Jeffrey Bell, one of the producers, admitted to TV Line that they can't afford to actually do the Ghost Rider effect anymore. Which probably means which, it's not going to be much of any effects in the pre, in the back half of this season, which fills me with joy. <laughs> yeah, like, I mentioned that to Nico, and like he said, it was really funny because one of the big things that everybody was fucking hyping about this show was the fact that like Ghost Rider looks so fucking good, like for a TV budget. Turns out he was actually using more of the budget than we thought. So much so that now it's just going to be, hey, we got. We got robots that look exactly like people. So we don't have to buy so we don't have to pay for robot effects. Or if we do, they're going to be the cheapest shit you've ever seen. Yeah, we put a piece of masking tape over a bunch of wires on this person's forearm. That's a robot, right? Moving on. Maybe they can pull this out. It depends. Maybe. <laughs> But I, I've, I've, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I've been burned by the back half of seasons of Agents of Shield in the past. Yeah, but we've also been like, we also had like the back half be the best parts of the season. In parts, but yeah, yeah. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Moving on. Ugh. Uh so Jeff Johns. Uh, just this past week, uh, went on a bit of a Twitter going off on one where he said some stuff like that he was returning to write comic books, specifically one about Dr. Manhattan. Uh, 
type out Wonder Woman stuff, and also that there will be a new DC TV show coming soon. Didn't say anything about what it was, uh, where what universe it was going to fit in, and what network it was going to be. Just that more shows are coming from DC TV, and one of them is going to be announced soon. That should be at least okay. The only the only DC shows that are not even okay are Gotham and, and Arrow. Teen Titans Go. Well, yeah, Arrow. I forgot. Arrow. I stopped caring about Arrow so long ago. I've blighted it from my memory. I when when they did the when they did the um, the basic the Justice Society crossover a few weeks back. I I was like, oh right, Arrow is still a thing. Yeah, and it was weird because that 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 episode, the Arrow episode, was actually one of the stronger episodes of both Arrow and that little bit. Yep. But now, oh, it's back, and this, this Black Sirens, there's going to be the help. Remember her? Hey! It's people have been speculating a lot about what show is going to be. Uh, some people lean towards Black Lightning. Others leaning towards... heard some people say Zatanna. Yeah. Some other people are leaning towards Teen Titans, apparently. It can't be any worse than the Teen Titans show that's still on the air. Yeah. But it's probably not a good idea to bring that out when they already have fucking Young Justice Season 3 waiting in the wings. Yeah, that will make it look embarrassing by comparison. It'll make fucking the entire DC TV lineup look embarrassing by comparison. Like, even the good stuff. Yeah. Speaking of embarrassing, The CW is developing a reboot series of Charmed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, you weren't kidding about embarrassing. <laughs> oh, oh and my god, I thought Alyssa Milano had more going on in her life than that. <laughs> this is gonna be fucking dumb. Is it the same actresses, or is it like the it is origin a, story of the... It is a new series uh, from, the, from the Jane the Virgin team. Which, that's a yeah, show that exists. Giving... People have been giving that show praise. I'm not sure I get why. I entirely forgot it happened. It's still happening. It's still on the air. Yeah. The only reason I know it's still on the air is it comes on right after Supergirl. Yeah, so it's being created by that team, and it is, according to The Hollywood Reporter, described as a reimagining of the original TV series set in 1976. Well, maybe that would be a better justification as to why all the characters act like bitches. Were the, were the mid to late 70s real big on bitches? I mean, you, have you seen the nice guys? Fair. <laughs> yeah, so according to THR, the reboot will be, will be connected to the original in some fashion. But it's not entirely clear oh, at this God. point how that will come to pass. Oh, we are dead men. We are in full 90s nostalgia now. We gots ourselves a fucking 
laundry list of shows we could do for X and Y. Oh, man. Yeah, dog. It's just never going to die. Speaking of never dying, Rob Liefeld has optioned off the rights to his Extreme Universe for a film series. Extreme Universe. Is that the Youngblood stuff? Or Yes, it is. Oh my god. However, <laughs> Youngbloods itself is not part of that deal. Just other characters that were tied to Youngbloods that aren't actually part of the Youngbloods. So, wait. If a, does that mean that if a character that showed up in Youngblood but isn't part of Youngblood that they're I have not no part idea. of it? I have no fucking idea. Because I just sort of assumed that by nature of the fact that Rob Liefeld was a lazy writer that he was incapable of keeping anything out of one of his six or seven different concurrent Youngblood books. Let, let, me, let me just read this sentence. Over the course of the decade in various imprints... 1990s, specifically decade, Liefeld put out comics that featured heroes, antiheroes, and villains and superhero teams. Great sentence there. Named Youngblood, Bloodstrike, Bloodwolf, Rejects, and Kaboom. Youngblood is not part of the extreme deal, but many of the other characters and comics are. So the only one that anyone remotely remembers is not even in it. Okay, I'm going to go quiet for a second, but that's because I'm looking up something for a joke. Well, yeah, you have to understand, Deadman, he didn't want to option off the rights for uh, Youngblood because he's rebooting that himself. Yeah. But we still have such fucking... Like that. But we still got such fucking amazing characters like Evangeline and Badrock. Brigade. Bad Rock was part of Youngblood. But he also had his own thing. I, I think? I don't okay, fucking so know. Youngblood is retarded. I, I don't goddamn know. This shit is so goddamn stupid. <laughs> Why would anyone option anything Rob Liefeld created other than Deadpool and Cable? Because the 90s existed and people think everything good in it was good. To which you respond, Oh! <laughs> So yeah, this shit was auctioned. This shit was optioned uh, by Graham King and Akiva Goldsman. <laughs> okay, in that case, I might be on board for this because then we'll get something truly entertaining. <laughs> like between between Batman and Robin. Um, no, that that was Rennie Harlan. If I say uh, so, between between um, Batman and Robin. And Winter's Tale. If if Akiva Goldsman is in any way involved in writing or directing, this is going to be amazing. Not good, but amazing. Don't forget Constantine and the Da Vinci Code and the Losers eh. and Jonah Hex <laughs> at Paranormal Activities two through four. Again, and, I, I said they would not be good, but they might be fun. <laughs> and the upcoming Dark Tower movie. Oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> he is the producer and I, co-writer alongside Nikolai Arcel, Anders Thomas Jensen, and Jeff Pinkner. 
Yeah. Oh, he's, producing, he's, he's producing the Dark Tower alongside Ron Howard. He just had a stellar year with... Uh, what was that? Fuck, what was that movie he produced last year? Yep, I that was a that was sure a fucking banger. <laughs> anyway, Liefeld said in a statement, Over the past nearly oh, 25 years, since launching Image Comics, I've been lucky enough to see the power of these stories and characters as they've resonated with several generations of comic fans. Badum tish. <laughs> to now be able to work with Akiva Goldsman and Graham King, who are powerhouses in their own right, to bring these... I you can't see me do air quotes. Characters, but, ima- but imagine these big. But imagine the vo- but imagine the biggest fucking things I can do to bring these compelling characters and conflicts <laughs> to life on the big screen is nothing short of a dream of a dream come true. <laughs> Nico and I got some material out of that. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So get ready for Pouches and Triangle Feet, the movie. <laughs> what fans has he spoken to with the last 25 years? His family? Yeah, his like, mom is super Dad, into... I don't want to... His mom's real big into Bad Rock. It's like, Dad, I don't want to read about your fucking little rapist Wolverine clone. Well, shut, shut the fuck up, up and read it. a wonderful character. And where are your whiteout contact lenses, goddammit? And make sure you read the six other books that explain what's happening in this book I'm giving you right now. But, Dad, shouldn't I read those first? No. No. Now get back in your room and read before I beat you to death. Just like I did to your sister. No. I won't beat you to death. I'll beat you into a Liefeld character. Oh, God, Daddy, no! (laughs) I need my feet! I'm five. I don't have that me, much. Son. <laughs> I'm five. I don't have that much real estate for pouches. He grows up to be more pouched than human. And, okay, to be fair, all of these jokes are coming from the point of view that we hate his characters. We. Any jokes we make about his person are entirely satirical. I do not know the man. But everything I've read about him, he seems he seems all right. He's just a terrible, terrible, terrible creator. Yeah, I mean the same could be said of like um, Gary Marshall, who was a a sweet old man who died last year, but he kept making movies like New Year's Eve, Mother's Day, uh, Valentine's Day. <laughs> you can be a good person and still make shit. Yes, you can. Moving on, Netflix is reviving the Magic School Bus. They're also re- reviving Bill Nye. Yeah, so this is coming from this is coming from a Latino review. So take this for what you will. Uh, but yeah, they're saying that the Magic School Bus will be returning to the turning to Netflix as the Magic School Bus three hundred and sixty. It will be 26 half-hour episodes, all done in CGI. Oh, uh, oh, never mind. No, no. Which are set to air in the fall of 201. <laughs> well, Deadman, I think we're 1,800 years too late. I'm sorry. 
that is a typo, but fuck you, Tyler Richardson. This show is coming out in the fall 201. <laughs> I had that happen once when I was proofreading a paper and someone said, the World War World War II concluded in 1492. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I am looking at Wikipedia. Columbus was very confused. It's looking at Wikipedia. It is... Yeah, it, it, okay, so it is actually full-on happening. This isn't some Latina review shit. This is full-on happening. Magic School Bus 360 Degrees. New iteration. Stresses out modern inventions like robotics, wearables, and camera technology. Uh, and it's coming out this year. Cool. I mean... I'm I'm not thrilled about the all CGI thing, but I always thought the Magic School Bus was kind of a brilliant way to expose children to complex scientific ideas. Magic School Bus is neat. It was it was a lot of fun watching that as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So it is uh, being produced by Nine Story Media Group, uh, who also worked on uh, seasons sixteen to nineteen of Arthur. Something called Barbie Video Game Hero. <laughs> and Jacob Tutu. And that's Tutu as in the number two, the number two. Which he is called that because he because he tends to repeat things. They're a Canadian company, and that was a Canadian story. I don't get it. Sorry about that. In or easy. <laughs> Anywho, we'll ride along. So director James Goon, uh, he has apparently, according to Twitter, uh, pitched Marvel on an idea for Moon Knight. Is it let's be crazy? You want to get uh, no, nuts? Uh, let's get he, nuts. No, he no, you know he didn't actually uh he, he didn't actually tell us what his pitch was, just that he gave it to them and that he wished he had time to do it himself. You know who else I would you know who else I'd like to do that? Who? Shyamalan. Just <laughs> hey, I had this idea for a movie, so why don't you fuckers do it? Dude, even his bad movies, they're at least somewhat. At least a lot of them are could could be considered interesting ideas. He just has no talent anymore. Yeah, which is why I'm anticipating slash scared of Split. I've heard a lot of really good things. Yeah, but I also heard really good things about The Visit, and that movie drove Jimmy to drink <laughs> more than he usually <laughs> does. I'm just going to say, from what you've told me, it doesn't take a lot to drive that man to drink. <laughs> Anywho, then moving on to our final piece of news. Uh, so, while talking to the Hollywood Reporter, uh, somebody from fucking, oh yeah, the head of TBS, Kevin Riley, or fucking whatever his goddamn position is at TBS, uh, he brought up that uh, currently in production... Uh, is a new series based off of the Clueless Gamer segments from Conan. So, yeah. 
We're now getting a Clueless Gamer TV show, apparently. Okay. For those who haven't seen Clueless Gamer, uh, Clueless Gamer is an occasional segment on Conan, the TBS late night talk show, and on YouTube, where Conan O'Brien sits down, usually with Aaron Blairt, uh, his, or whatever, however his name, sorry about that dude, uh, his resident punching bag slash nerd, or a celebrity, and they fail to play video games properly. The most recent one, I believe, was sitting down with Terry Crews to play Battlefield 1. Before that, he sat down with Elijah Wood to play Final Fantasy XV. They're fine segments. I have no idea how they're going to fucking stretch that out into a full TV into, into a full fucking TV show slot. Okay. Does it for news? On to new releases. For this week, the week of January sixth, we have a monster calls. Yeah, that's a movie I've heard things about. Same. Liam Neeson's a tree. Yeah. He is Groot. <laughs> Thank you, Internet, for that joke. I would have come up with it on my own, but thanks anyway. Uh, we also have Hidden Figures. A biopic a about nice the... Uh, cleanser, a nice palate cleanser for what the current upcoming president. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, Underworld Blood Wars. <laughs> The most recent installment in the venerable Underworld film series. What's funny to me is, um, I thought all of that this move that this series was was the vampire equivalent of Resident Evil, where it's just a guy is photographing his wife in sexy gear doing kung fu shit. But no, apparently, Lynn Wiseman, who started the franchise, only did the first two. Other people did the other movies, which do the exact same thing. Yep. Don't know if that wins at points or not. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, then else coming out this week? Railroad Tigers, a brand new Hong Kong action movie starring Jackie Chan. That's not necessarily a good thing at this point because the last couple of Jackie Chan movies have been depressing. It's currently sitting at a 36%. Yeah. Coming out next week, week of January 13th, well, there's there's one other movie that came out this week that in limited release, Dead Man. Silence. The new two hour forty five minute Martin Scorsese epic about Catholics being tortured in Japan. Dope. <laughs> about time someone took those Catholics down a peg. Whatever fuck I don't care. Oh, they're coming up next week. Uh, we have the Bye Bye Man. <laughs> yep. Please continue. <laughs> Do you want to hear this? You want to hear plot description of this? I've seen the trailer. I know what the description is. It's Candlejack. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. The poster. It's a feature-length The poster's just some fucking jackass in a raincoat that just says, don't think it, don't say it, fucking scratching it over and over and over again. It's fucking Candlejack. <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Oh, good. It's from the director of Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. Well, maybe then it'll be unintentionally funny. <sighs> I keep seeing... I keep finding out about movies. I keep finding out about movies. Isn't that your job? I know, but it just keeps happening. <laughs> I just keep being like this. I just keep finding fucking... Fucking yoga hosers. Did you not know that was a thing? Not until I fucking saw it on this bullshit. I, I, I mean, it was reviewed in the States, and it's all about Kevin Smith basically bashing Canada. God damn it. Also coming out next week, we have Monster Trucks. The movie about MacGyver having a squid car. Yeah. You know, like you do. That trailer came on um, Netflix when we were watching something last night, and I saw Caveman physically um, implode into his couch. That's about right. Oh, oh, god dang. <laughs> the last fucking sentence of this goddamn description. Melding cutting-edge visual effects and state-of-the-art CGI. By what standard? 2000? Please. 1997. You're right. This does look like the, uh, thir- the new sequel to Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Please. It's a step below that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, then a bunch of other shit that I don't know one fucking cares about. Like Attack of the Later Hosts and Zombies. Also, Is new that one. actually being released in theaters? Uh, I believe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, limited release. Well, I mean, Deadman, you know what else is coming out in theaters, at least in the States, next week, right? What's that? The Yu-Gi-Oh! movie. Oh, well, there's also the One Piece movie. (laughs) A new one. One Piece film gold. We're going to see the Straw Hat crew and a bunch of other fancy outfits that make them look like 1940s gangsters, and then they all use guns, apparently. Yeah. Like they did in that one movie. <sighs> anyway. I'm hungry. That's it for this week, everybody. Thank you all for joining us. And instead of all the things we said coming up soon, just watch Voltron Season 2. Definitely, dog. That shit <laughs> is gonna be great. Oh, yeah. 
Same day as this going up, we're going to be start. We're going to be starting off a dated action movie month with Triple X, the 2002 masterpiece. Oh man! The uh... and then and then we'll be back in two weeks' time with episode of the DeathStarProds.com movies and television podcast. In between now and then, they're going to be having our regular run news, baby reviews, podcasts. Ow! Kinds of bullshit, but. Until then, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie. Happy New Year, you fucks. Fuck. <laughs>